kick it. She lays it off. Teresa Polaris. It's an absolute peach. Is driving. What a hit from Melina Reyes. Wow. And Sam Kerr has a hat trick. Meet him out. One We're back with Radio Dove. Took a little hiatus after the A-League women's season. Josh Parrish here with Bakur Frimpong. Bakur, we're back with a bang, though. We've got a big guest on the line. Absolutely. I'm very excited. I've wanted this guest for a while and, you know, finally found some time and I'm excited to have a really good ch- um, chat today. Jeff Hopkins, coach of Melbourne Victory. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How are you going? It's good to, it's good to be here, finally. <laughs> No, it's it's our pleasure, mate. Congratulations on the second successive championship win. What a wild ride that was! Yeah, look, I, I think um, it was uh, yeah, almost like uh, uh, riding a roller coaster at, at times. Um, but look, yeah, I've, I've had a little bit of time now to uh, to sit back and to. Uh, to just kind of have a think about the season as, as a whole, and uh, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's kind of doesn't doesn't look as look as bad when you look back on it as as, as it was in terms of the. I think you, you soon you soon forget and you soon get over things. Um, but yeah, look at it. I think uh, in terms of in terms of the uh, the playing group, they put up with a with a great deal of uh, of disruption. Um, and, and uncertainty at times, uh, and it's probably for me the support I got from the club and the support I got from my um, coaching staff and medical staff was was fantastic. So, yeah, it's um, um, I guess looking back on it, it's uh, one a great effort from the from the playing group and two fantastic effort from the support staff to 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 really get through some of the some of the tough periods. And allow us to be in a position when we got to the finals where we could, you know, where we could actually play and, and put in a real, a real good performance. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's very enjoyable now just to look back on that. Thinking about this playing group, you know, we've had a few of the players on, and they've really spoken about how united and you know how special the group you know was, and how you guys, the, all three of the hurdles you guys had, just continually, just you know moved on and you know progressed and built a stronger unit did you know you had a, such a special group from the start or is that something that just you know as the players said grew no look I, I think I think over time you, you build you build that group and it's probably the group that we had last year we had uh, a very uh, physically and uh, I thought mentally tough group um, and we we did actually we I say going back a little bit further we we do kind of recruit uh, character as well it's not just about the player we we do our we do our homework on the players uh, and we try and bring players in that uh, you know, we have good reports on the good character good people um, so th- that that kind of helps um, but also yeah we, we do a, we do a fair bit of work on um, just on our team culture and what it means to play for us and be part of us and and yeah um, and Gareth Gareth Turnbull uh, um, my my assistant did a he, he does a great job he he kind of looks after that side of things and he's just got to take a, a lot of credit for that as well um, but yeah look I think uh, it's definitely making sure that you recruit the right people um, and yeah it's not not just hundred uh, percent about football it's about what type of players they are are they going to fit into our culture you know are they going to fit the team dynamics and yeah and that that definitely helps but um i think this year as as a group we we did we did lose some pretty big characters and some some quite uh some quite influential leaders we, we lost lisa divana we lost um Annalie longo angie beard we lost our captain um and yeah it was most probably I I thought we were we we're going to be okay, but you, you never really know. But um, yeah, in terms of in terms of players stepping up and and uh, you know when when they're asked to step up, just, you know in the moment being being great. I think uh, a number of a number of players did that this year for us. 
Well, speaking of losing big characters, at least on the park, you had to do do it without Kayla Morrison, who is uh, such a barometer for the side and someone who lifts the team when the going gets tough. Uh, obviously, she was around the group the entire season. We saw her her jersey hung on the back of the bench for the entire campaign, and there was that emotional moment uh, between her and Leah Privatelli after yep. the grand final win. But mm-hmm. how do you go about replacing somebody like her who is, as a player and as a character, irreplaceable? Yeah, look, I, I, I agree. I think she's... Um, she When we lost Kayla in that first game, um, obviously you lose a, a top-quality player central defender um and that that was a, that was a problem for us for sure um in terms of her as just just as a player it took us um we had to we had to adjust we had to adapt we had to play players out of position and although tiff came in tiff eliadis came in and did a did a, did a pretty good job and so so did amy jackson it wasn't their preferred position they hadn't played there uh, for for quite a while, both of them, and it did it did kind of uh, we kind of got through a couple of games, but we were just kind of papering over, and yeah, we at the time we were looking for a replacement. Um, the window had closed, so we needed to get a free agent, um, but we we had to get the right player in as well. So we did we did wait a little bit, and it kind of cost us a, in a couple of games, um, but. Um, the patience paid off, and we we were able to bring in uh, uh, Brooke Brooke Hendricks, and uh, she she then kind of settled the settled the ship, and uh, things things were, were okay, or much much better then in terms of the the team and the and the defensive stability. But yeah, it's the other side of things was uh, was was more not not more of a worry, but um, a little bit of a worry then uh, to see how. Um, Kayla would react to to the injury, um, how that would affect her, how it affected the dynamics of the team as well. But yeah, um, she was she was absolutely magnificent. She she had a almost probably had a week where she had a little bit of a uh, almost like a mourning period. Got used to the fact that yeah, this is a serious injury. She was going to be out of the team for for a long time, um, and then she made her mind up that she was going to commit herself right the way through the season to the team and making sure that she can uh, yeah, just give something back to the team. It wasn't going to be on the field, but um, off the field she was she was amazing and yeah, so she she was there at every training session basically um, right the way through, apart from when she was in hospital. Uh, um, and then yeah, look, she was there at games, she was there to yeah our team breakfasts when she was there to talk to players to reassure one or two and she was there and did did a a real captain's captain's role um and she look i I guess the other thing she did was um we we then had to ask other players to step up leah privatelli um, our 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 leadership group um melissa mazels and they they needed help as well um leah especially was into a, a position that she was was a little bit foreign to her, um, and uh, Kayla really helped her as well. Um, and yeah, look, I think the the role she played in was probably helping helping Leah because um, Leah turned out to be a fantastic captain across the season. She led by example, but also she she grew as a as a leader through the season. And uh, yeah, I think um, Kayla's got to take a, a a fair bit of the credit for that as well now jeff uh, you know just as a person you're looking from the outside this team you know went through a lot of challenges and you know even kayla's you know being around that group a lot i'm assuming that comes a lot from you know building a solid foundation you know as a program for melbourne victory to attract players and also to keep players and to teach players you know as they go you know they go along their football journey what do you think the, those big what do you think you had to do to build that kind of culture when you got to melbourne victory yeah, look, it was um, look. I guess there, there were there were a number of things. I think um, we needed to maybe, as a club, commit to the commit to the players a little bit more than we did. I think uh, when I first came here, the the club was in a, a transition from from football Victoria to to victory, um, mm. and yeah, look, I, 
I was almost in a position where um, it was a lot of the roles weren't really defined, and we needed to, to step up as a club and and just to, just to put our hand up and say, yeah, this is our team. This is we're looking after this team, and and it and it kind of took a there was a little there was a little period of time where um, as a club that we kind of had to to realize that and and to, and to step up and once once that happened things started to things started to happen and happen pretty quickly um, um, I guess in terms of the the players I think was probably the and and no, this is no disrespect to to anyone on um, but we you know we as a as a playing group we didn't we didn't have the strongest playing group that we that we could have had and we needed again we needed to commit as a club to to making sure that we um, that we brought in better players, players that maybe suited our game style a little bit better, um, and maybe start planning for the future as well by bringing some some good younger players that we could commit to for a, for a few seasons. Um, and you know, players like Kyra Cooney Cross, players like Melina Ayers that we could commit to for a number of seasons and say, look, we're committing to you. Uh, we we want to build this. We want to build this program. We want to build this team into a team that um, becomes a, a winning team and um, yeah, and looks after our players and helps develop our players. And I think that that doesn't happen overnight. And yeah, I think I guess what the the great thing about the club has been that they they did. Plan a three-year plan, and they did kind of say, "Look, okay, year one, um, we want to see some sort of improvement, but we, you know, it's it's all about what what we can do as a as a club, as a team over over those three years to uh, to really build towards having a successful team out on the field because that's what we that's what we wanted." And uh, yeah, look, I think uh, we brought I think we brought the right players in. We brought the players in that were. Um, better quality players, um, players that were hungry, players that wanted to improve and we committed to making the team better and making the players individually better as well, which is, I think, uh, which is uh, definitely uh, um, one, of the, one of the keys to, to, to how we did things. Jeff, what's the next step uh, for victory here? Uh, we've got this fragmented landscape in women's football at the moment where players go off to play MPL or overseas in a very, very long A-League women's off-season. And w- with the ecosystem as it currently stands, what, in, what in, you, in your view do you think victory have to grow and, and develop to make this more of a, a year-round program that you can commit to player development on a on a longer-term basis and you don't have this these kinds of, you know, I guess, interruptions in player development, not only for, you know, the establishment of victory as this uh, kind of dynasty that you're building here, uh, but also for the growth of women's football in Australia and, and the development of national team players as well. Yeah. Look, I think there's, there's, there's a number of things that need to be done some some by our club um some by mm. uh, the, the the national uh federation as well and uh and the league as well so uh i guess for us as a club we've we've made a start on an on a on our elite girls pathway so we've uh we've now got a um uh, elite elite girls um program that uh in fact i'll be heading there straight after this um straight after this uh, interview now to uh um, we've we've got uh, at the moment it's one one day a week and we we think we've got uh, the majority of the of the best players in in victoria from under four, 14 15 16 up, up to under 18s um and that's uh i guess for us it's a it's a it's a way of number one re- Recruiting and and having a look at the, the the players that are out there. Number two, giving the players that are playing either um, in the uh, NCC program or uh, in their MPL clubs an extra day's training, which I think we've all identified as uh, our elite players need to need to play more football. They need to train a little bit more um, if they're going to improve. So. Um, Helping, helping that side of things as well. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so and then probably looking at um, that being the the next step into into our uh, into our W League or W League A League women's um, program. So you know, I think we definitely need um, underpinning programs that um, um, so players can yeah be um, maybe. Uh, for want of a better word, trained in the way that we want them trained. Um, uh, they need extra work to make sure that they're they're technically technically sound, they're tactically sound when they when they get to sixteen, seventeen years of age. You know, there's there's not things that are that are holding them back. Um, um, and I think that needs to be done by by ourselves. It needs to be done by I think all the uh, A League women's. Um, A-League women's clubs now that they need to get underpinning programs um, and get more involved in the development of, of the, the young girls that are coming through. Um, I think uh, in terms of us as well, um, and this, this needs to be um, facilitated as well by, by the league, that we need, we need to improve the structure of the league Um I know most most coaches are uh, talking about uh, a true a true home and away, um, more games over a longer period of time, um, to to then give give our young players not just uh, the kind of visibility of, of a league, but um, a league that's worthwhile and um, and it's, it's going to help develop them in, to, towards the next level of uh, the next level of the game. Um, And I say that that can't be done by us alone. That's got to be um, facilitated by the by the league um, and an FFA um, th through there. Um, I think uh, uh, another another massive thing is obviously we've got the World Cup coming next year. Um, that's going to be, or that could potentially be a massive growth area for for the game. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be. A huge success in terms of the competition itself, um, but I think alongside that, what's going to really help, um, really kick the game on and leave a bit of a legacy or or a big legacy after after the World Cup's gone is yeah is, is the performance of uh, of the team. I think it's so it's really pivotal that um, that the the team do well that they. They uh, they play well. They um, they go they go a long way. And yeah, look if we could see our our Matildas team in the semi-finals or the final, it'd be just a massive boost to the game. And yeah, looking at the looking at the team and the players that we've got, there's there's no reason why we can't do that. And yeah, look, I think that side of the things, you know, you've got to you've got to create those those role models and those heroes for for our young young players to to aspire to uh and i think we're, we're doing that quite well at that level now we we need to give them a pathway as well that allows them to to reach there if that's what they want so our our underpinning programs have got to be right um the league's got to be good and obviously uh then that will lead to i'm sure it's something that we're looking at is a is a 12 month of the year program where we can we can have players with us for 12 months of the year and they can be full-time full-time players in this country um with with melbourne victory football club and yeah so if we can if we can get close close to that in the next few years um then i think the game will be looking really healthy and uh the future will be looking healthy as well Jeff, it's a really insightful answer. Unfortunately, midway through, uh, you committed the cardinal sin of calling it the W League. So uh, anytime yes, someone yes, does that on this program, uh, we've been making uh, the same mistake all season. Uh, it's it's one in the swear jar, I'm afraid. Excuse me. Uh, apparently that sting's not working. There's usually a cash register sound effect that plays. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to give a, a dollar for every time I've, I've said that this year, actually. <laughs> I don't know what the fine system is at, at Melbourne Victory, but, uh, <laughs> but, but for us, it's one in the share jar. <laughs> now, Jeff, yeah. I can't yeah. not ask this question just because you're one of the best coaches, you know, in this country. Have you ever thought about, you know, coaching national team or, you know, obviously you've built something amazing in Melbourne Victory. Are you like, quite content at staying in Melbourne Victory and, you know, f fully seeing that out? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy here and obviously there's 
Um, I'd love to, to to follow through on what we're doing at Victory at the moment. We've got a um, a board and we've got a football director that's really keen to to help build this this program to make it the best best in the country. And I, yeah, that's 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 all I'm that's all I'm really focused on at the moment. Um, I, I actually have been involved with the with the national teams when I first came in up. up with uh, with Brisbane, um, I, I coached the under twenties team um, in a just a, a span of the World Cup World Cup qualifiers. I, in fact, we had a a team that was full of these uh, uh, the, of, of the team that's actually playing for the Matildas at the moment. So with, with Sam Kerr and yeah, Emily Gilnick and yeah, look, uh, basically nearly. 90% of the group were in that team. So um, I, I, I've got to coach those girls and coach them. At, uh, we went over to Vietnam and, and uh, in a qualification series there. So And, and we and we didn't qualify. So it's probably uh, with a better coach, we most probably would have, uh, <laughs> would have done a little, maybe should have done a little bit better. But no, I've, I've had a taste of that and it's I really enjoyed it. But uh, at the moment, my... Uh, my days are pretty full with uh, making this the best team that, I pos- that we possibly can in in the lands. What do you make of the Matildas at the moment? I'm, I'm sure you were you were glued to the the New Zealand friendlies recently. Uh, we were pretty encouraged by by some of the improvements we saw in those games. Uh, w- w- just as a as a fan of women's football and as, as someone who's passionate about it, what do you ma- what do you make of the side and how they're progressing towards the World Cup? Yeah, look, I I, I rate that side re- really highly and. Yeah, look, um, and I, I've got trust in I've got trust in the coach that he everything he's talking about he's 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 got a plan. He's uh, I think um, it was some of the results early on obviously were unfortunate in terms of um, losing games, but I, I liked I liked the uh, I liked the kind of process around how he was doing things. So yeah, look. Um, I'm 100% behind him and 100% and behind the uh, the group of players as well. We've got a, a fantastic group of players, and I think I think that's it's it's very very easy to be negative and to to look at some of the some of the results and say they should have been better than and most probably they should have done. But um, I think uh, um, we need to get we need to get behind them. We need to. I think, especially coming into coming into the World Cup at home, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on on the players, and they've got to see like a, a real united front behind them. And I think if we can make sure that we do get behind them and really and really uh, really back them, I think uh, I think this could be a, just having the World Cup here is going to be amazing anyway. But having a World Cup where our our girls are Playing well, our girls are winning games. Our girls are progressing to the latter stages. It's going to be so exciting, and it's just going to give the the whole uh, the whole of the um, the whole of the country a real buzz. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 comfortable. I'm confident that um, the team's heading in in the right direction, and uh, I'm, I'm confident that they'll do well when the when push comes to shove in the in the real big games. Now, as a coach, you know, of Melbourne Victory, you've got a lot of players in that, you know, Matilda's, you know, set up at the moment. One of your key players, Alex Shidiak, you know, had a phenomenal season this year and she's, you know, getting back into that Matilda's, you know, group again. What position yep. do you see as her, like, true position? Because, like, there's been talk of her as a number six, and, you know, playing a little bit higher as a number ten. What do you see her as, like, her, like the spot that she plays her best football? Yeah, look, look Alex is... Um it's just a really talented player. Um, yeah, she can, and that's that's the the good thing. I think she's shown this year is that, that um, she can she can play as that uh, she can play as a, an outright number ten. Um, but I, I think I think she prefers to to start a little bit deeper um, and and to move forward. She's she's a very very clever intelligent player, and um, I think to to just drop her into the hole and to allow her to be marked 
doesn't kind of suit her game. Um, she 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 likes to drift. Um, so almost like a, a bit of an eight. But you know, when when we're deeper in the build up, she gets involved in the build up, gives the ball off to other players, and then as play develops, she she drifts forward and then picks the ball up again. Maybe in that number ten role, it's just in front of the back four in the pockets of space. But she gets into those positions. She goes drifts into them and she goes into them in her own time and at at the right moment Uh, so yeah look I think uh, definitely she's she's a player that needs to be you need to get the ball to further up the field because she can create she's she can she can see the passes she can dribble she commits defenders really well draws them in and plays really well timed passes Um, but uh, but also um, yeah, I think uh, I think giving her a little bit of a role where she can she can kind of drift drift forward into into those positions uh, would really suit her. Um, but again, and then you look at her again, and you look at the other side of her game. She worked so hard for us this year without the ball. Uh, she you know she's only a she's only a, a, a small a small player, but she uh, yeah she. The amount of work she gets through, she she can tackle. She's physically physically good, um, quick off the mark. So yeah, look, she's um, if if I was looking at uh, getting close to a complete midfielder, then she's she's not too far off it. And so uh, and uh, yeah, so I guess the other thing about her is that she has got that versatility. So she, you can you know if that's if that's the role that you want for her, this um, a bit of a freer role where she can move around you can also ask her to do a disciplined role as well which we we had we had to do a few times this year when she could just uh okay go in and do a go in and do a job for you and uh and get the get that job that disciplined defensive job done as well I think that's spot on, Jeff. I mean, uh, her performances for victory this season have really, I, I guess, exposed the myth of, of Chids as a luxury player. She's so hardworking and <laughs> the amount of tackles she yeah. makes. Um, we, we've got to let you go soon because we know you're a busy man. Uh, one of your new duties is uh, coaching the Afghan women's national team here in Victoria. How special has that yes. been for you? Uh, it's, it's been fantastic. And I, I started to do it um, during the season. Obviously, it was I was quite limited to the amount of uh, the amount of time I could spend with the with the, with the women, but yeah, just just being around them gives me a real buzz. Uh, some of the personal stories, yeah, just yeah, just get you really emotional just even thinking about them. Uh, and yeah, just we played our first game on the weekend, and just to see them out there playing together as, as a group again was was uh, was excellent and uh yeah we uh, we had a really a really a really good day um uh the team are coming together nicely uh we're just starting to uh um get a bit more regular with our with our training there and uh yeah i'm uh, i'm really enjoying it and uh i say it's when yeah when you when you kind of think of the the story of the of, of the group and then you, some of the individual stories um it just makes you wanna wanna work with them, make you wanna wanna help them, and yeah, just uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I just love being being a part of it, and yeah, it's been it's been great the way that the club have embraced them as well, and yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a really I'm I'm kind of committing to them for the for the rest of the season, so it's going to be really good for me to uh, to work for them and get back to. You know, um, these players just what they've been through just to just to kick a football around. It's just uh, yeah, just does makes you think it's uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy what's what's going on in the country there and female players not being allowed to to play football is just yeah, it's quite upsetting and makes you quite emotional. So uh, it's uh, I, I just love being a part of this group and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. Now, Jeff, before you go, last question. I saw a photo with the puppy and the the girls. I've got to know whose puppy was it because it was a very cute puppy. I don't. I don't <laughs> they pick it out of like a, a dog modelling agency or something. It was quite good. Now that Nilab came off and she with a cramp, and uh, the dog kind of jumped through the fence and uh, came and just sat on her lap. 
um, I found out it was actually um, her her dog. So, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so the dog was obviously a little bit um, concerned about her. So, um, so the, the little uh, the little dog came through. It was a beautiful little dog, actually. So. Yeah, we're a, we're a definitely a dog friendly team as well. So. <laughs> well, if, if that's what happens when anybody goes down injured, I think you're going to have a lot of injuries this season, Jeff. So <laughs> I want to watch out for that. Jeff. Actually, that's a that's a good point. I'll uh, I'll keep an eye on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for your time. We think it's fantastic what you're doing and what the club's doing with uh, with the Afghan women's national team. If people don't know that uh, it, they've been entered into football Victoria competitions this season as they. Uh, uh, seek refuge in Australia and uh, it's just so great to see him back out on the field. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck with this and, and with the Victory Program going forwards. Great, thanks a lot. Good having a chat. Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Polaris! It's an absolute peach! Yes, driving! We're back here on Radio Dub on FNR Football Nation Radio. My name's Josh Parrish. I've got Pakua Frimpong here with me as always. Pakua, let's talk Matildas. It's been a little while since we saw them in action against New Zealand, but we've had time to gather our thoughts on the performances of Tony Gustafson's team. Uh, we've both been pretty critical of his coaching. Uh, Jeff Hopkins, less so. He was pretty pretty confident that the team would pull through when it really matters. What did you make of the showings in those two friendly fixtures? I thought the first game was quite. Uh, it was quite telling. It was a little. It was disappointing to watch. Obviously, came down to those two um, late goals from Sam Kerr and Emily Van Egmond, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lucky to get that win, but it wasn't a good, it wasn't pretty football. You know, we saw some changes in the midfield with Katrina Gorey in there and she did provide a little bit of a spark. You know, she's a fantastic, you know, football player and she should have been in that Matilda squad, you know, a while ago, but obviously, you know, other circumstances didn't allow her to be part of the team. But seeing her now, it's been quite good. And in that second game, we saw, you know, Gorey again and with Van Egmond in that defensive midfield partnership. And we saw Alex Chidiak come on, uh, you know, late on in the game and really provide something for the Matildas. And she showed a lot, I believe, though they mm. they didn't score with her honour. They might have scored only one when she came on. But it was more so about her play and how the Matildas went forward and how they really, you know, stopped New Zealand from being, you know, able to really put any kind of pressure on them. And it was quite an easy game, you know, to say the least. Yeah, I felt that that second game was was pretty comfortable in particular. And they, they started with pretty much the same team, which surprised me. But then all of those early changes came through and you saw a bit of squad rotation, and a few chances for players on on the bench and on the fringes. But what this really reinforced to me, I guess there's two lessons I took from it. One is that Katrina Gorey completely changes the emphasis of this side and it also improves Mary Fowler's play because she's been yeah, so much more involved between the lines when Katrina Gorey is able to actually get her the ball and pick her out. And she's also become more active and searching for the ball more because she knows she can get it in those situations. And the link between those two players was like the biggest takeaway for me and the biggest plus point. Uh, I think they those two immediately have a really good chemistry and a really good connection. And it basically means you've got a route through the middle of the park on the ground, which means that we don't see anywhere near as many diagonal long balls pumped in Sam Kerr's direction. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Um, and you saw, you know, some struggles to find the back of the nets uh, in the first game. Uh, you saw some of the old bad habits coming back into it. You didn't see Sam Kerr as involved as you might have liked to in, in deeper phases of play uh, based on the kind of goal poaching role she's occupying at the moment and her instinct to run off the last defender rather than come deep for the ball. Um, but, you know, an improvement for sure. Uh, the other lesson for me from this was that this is the group that we have and yeah. I don't think it's changing much. No, and I... If you're not going to experiment in a friendly against New Zealand, you've already decided. Your mind is made up pretty much. And I, I don't think that the players who ventured over to Europe who still believe in their heart of hearts that they're going to be in that World Cup squad, I think they're going to be disappointed. 
No, I, and I think, you know, we didn't. I don't think we had to wait for these two games to tell us that. I think Jeff Hopkins made – I'm not Jeff Hopkins. <laughs> uh, Tony Gustafsson made it quite clear when he had that, you know, the press conference before those two matches. He, he you know, he basically said, "I'm. we're going to start – figuring out what we're going to do for the World Cup, which, you know, we had criticisms of because I think you should have been started doing that a lot earlier. But this is the group, and it's quite interesting because Alex Chidiak, you know, wasn't going to be in this group if Kyra Cross was able to play. So I feel like there's only maybe a few players who kind of might have an opportunity to get in this squad, but I think this is the, this is ultimately going to be the squad that we take to the Women's World Cup, and we are going to live and die by the results and, you know, why, the way mm. they play. And I don't, I don't know, in football, the results aren't everything. It's more so the way you play. I think that's more important to me. The second game, game gave me a little bit more confidence. And, you know, reading Ante Jukic's uh, piece, you know, about Katrina Gloria and Mary Fowler, I think was quite insightful about, you know, their playing style. And I think Mary Fowler as the 10, that for me is her role. I think she's very mm. good in it. And I, the Matildas allow her to be free with, you know, some really – high quality players up front I think we just need some little bit more reassurance defensively because at times during those both those two games that center back partnership they looked quite shaky and it's not the quickest one is quite mm. slow and teams that you know teams in Europe who are really fast and move the ball quickly and their passing is so accurate I think Alana Kennedy and you know Polkinghorne they are very susceptible to those uh, those kinds of issues. And I think that's probably someone we need to look at. But unfortunately, it looks like Tony Gustafsson, we're not really going to see any big changes. And I don't think we have many other defensive mm. options as well. So we just kind of have to create a system that covers for their lack of speed. If it's Ali Carpenter and Steph Catley maybe, you know, coming in a little bit more and maybe at times having Catley or Carpenter. I'd prefer Catley, unfortunately, to play maybe mm. as a centre-back role to, you know, cover it with that, you know, the pace issues. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the natural fit is to go to a back three, um, but then you lose control in midfield unless you play a 3-5-2 and then you've still got your midfield three in there controlling the game. You've got an extra defender there, maybe a converted fullback, as you say, to cover pace-wise for Polkinghorn and Kennedy's weaknesses. But that doesn't seem to be where Gustafsson wants to take the team. It was interesting you mentioned that Ante Jukic piece, um, him asking Gustafsson about that directly. and So they finally had that chat. which is they, nice. they did have the chat, the phone call, the infamous phone call did happen, which is good to see. And his answer was basically that from a purely tactical standpoint, that makes sense, but the players don't spend enough time in that system at club level uh, for them to learn it in time for the World Cup and they don't have enough time in training camp to implement that. And I disagree with that. I, I think the players are capable of adapting quite quickly if they're given clear enough instructions. Uh, but it was at least good to hear the rationale from directly from the national team coach. I think I think here's, it's, it's a fair point in terms of, you know, the players learning this because I, I, it is a quite, you know, a drastic, you know, a little bit of a mm. big change and I don't think many of those players, their teams play in any in that type of style because a lot of European teams, women's teams, don't play like that traditionally because they don't, they're not forced to. However, I do think this ultimately comes down to Tony Gustafsson not preparing earlier and using other camps as a way to, you know, implement a, you know, a system that's, uh, that could mm. be beneficial because if he's saying it's a, the correct tactical choice, why was it not a correct tactical choice that you thought of a while ago? You know, you're getting paid a decent amount of money to be the national team head coach. Did it not ever cross your mind that this could have been an option for you? And why didn't you try different styles earlier? Why are we now, these are the styles we have to stick with. We live and die by them. And sometimes we fall quite, you know, when we fall, we fall hard. And, you know, it's mm. we don't have as much room to, you know, pick ourselves up and really make big changes. Tony G at the moment is like a uni student who did his assignment the night before and actually did, you know, a fairly good job, but at the last minute and said, oh, look, I could have caught an H1, but uh, unfortunately, you know, I just didn't have enough time to study. And you're thinking, well, you actually did. You just weren't familiar enough with the playing group when you took the role and took too long to find the right formula yeah. and group of players that actually works. And the failures at the Asian Cup reinforced that. 
So we've had to go back to the drawing board later than necessary and come up with a solution that can be implemented in a shorter space of time. Still, Gori changes the equation. If Chids is in the picture, she changes the equation just through their preferences as midfielders and their, their qualities, um, it, even regardless of any overarching instructions from, from the manager. That, that does make the Matildas a better side. If Chidiak ends up being the final squad, I have no idea, but the fact that she was able to get into this one, albeit as an injury replacement player, and had the opportunity to impress Tony G in the flesh, in person, that's, that's a positive for me. Um, but as for other fringe players, players like... For example, Angie Beard, who we've been angling for I just don't get for a long it. That one, time. That one, honestly, that's mm. probably the biggest question I have. I, I don't think you can tell me that she's not good enough to make this squad. Like, I don't think you can tell me that there are three, four players better than her um, or, like, two players better than her in her position that, you know, deserve to be in the squad more than her. I think she's consistent, reliable. She has experience in big moments and high-pressure moments, and that is what the World Cup is. It is not just a, you know, Women's mm. World Cup, you know, in in France or somewhere else across the world, it is at home and it's a lot of pressure playing in front of home fans. And obviously the discourse around, you know, the Matildas, everyone wants to be really positive and everybody wants to be, you know, we're just so grateful the women's sport is, you know, here and so and so. But we have to be, you know, critical and it, the pressure is going to be on for it to do well because it's not just about the Matildas doing well, it is about growing the game in this country. There is more than... A, a trophy at the end of it, there is, it is so, it goes so much deeper than that. Blind faith and nearsighted positivity does the national team no favours. You know, yeah, it's condescending and us, it'll yeah. end up with a reality brick to the face at the end of it, and it, when it's all said and done. But I use Angie Beard as an example of players who haven't got a look in so far and probably are locked out of the picture yeah. now. And that's a shame because the door, in my opinion, should always be open to new players based on form. Regardless of if the tournament's next year or next week, you know, until you have to actually submit your final squad to FIFA, the door door should be open to new players uh, to force their way in. And that doesn't seem like it's the case. It seems like we still have this really ingrained hierarchy in the Matildas setup. And that's, that's disappointing to me. And I don't know how to change that. And I don't know that that's entirely down to Tony G either. That, that no, hierarchy that, was no, in place that, before he got no, there. No, I think that just comes down to, you know... A, a system and a setup and a poor foundation to say, you know, mm. I, I, you know, I've said it multiple times. I think the foundation is the key to everything. No matter what you do in life, in every aspect you go about your, the way you are as a human being or whatever businesses you're a part of, if you have a poor foundation, you cannot build from there. And I think the foundation is not solid. There are crumble. It's, crumbling you know little pieces are coming off here by you know and you can maybe fix it with a little bit of this and fix it with a little bit of that but at the end of the day when the big pressure comes and you put a lot of you know have a lot of big load on you know that concrete it will crumble because you haven't set up proper precautions so you can you know succeed at you know the highest level possible well i guess katrina gory in that metaphor is the duct tape that we're uh She's a little bit stronger than duct tape, though. Papering over the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if, if she can uh, – her, her force of uh, playmaking will at the base of that midfield. Can... She was good, though. She, she was, was so, really good. so nice to watch. You know, <laughs> you know what we spoke about her when she – you know, in the early women's season. She's been phenomenal and her playing style is – you just like she's just it's so creative. With better players yeah, as well so because she's been so frustrated at Brisbane this season Absolutely. with the results. And just like her drawing players in, and just her, the way she gets every player involved, it it solves it has solved. It's so interesting that one player can solve you know some of some really big questions that we had about the Matildas. But going forward, she provides them so much. We just need a little bit more defensive cover, and we've been saying that for a while. But that that question is a lot harder to you know answer than the you know the attacking ones. I think we have the players available to create a good attacking system, just the defensive ones. Are, I'm not quite sure what the real answer is out for that one. Well, speaking of which, I reckon we should take a quick break. And on the other side, I want to talk a little bit of WSL. I want to hear from you uh, about which Matildas players are in form, which teams are looking to challenge for the title, because it is a pretty tight title race over in England at the moment. So we'll get into that on the other side of this break here on Radio Dub. 
Pickett, she lays it off, Teresa Polaris! It's an absolute peach! Yes, driving! What a hit from Melina Rez! Wow! And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick! Meet him up! Before we go today on Radio Dub, I think we should turn our attention to European women's football where there is a one-point gap in the title race in the Women's Super League in England. Chelsea leading Pakua's beloved Arsenal by a point. It is on an absolute knife edge and we've got Australian representation in both teams. Pakua, give us the uh, give us the lay of the land and uh, where you think these two teams are at. Chelsea-Arsenal, it's... Chelsea are in okay form. They haven't been they ha- this season. Even though they are leading, they haven't been as convincing as they you know typically were. Maybe I'm just being a little bit salty because they did beat us in the FA Cup semi final the other the last week. But they, I don't think they had a you know amazing season. They played some really nice football because they're a side full of class. And Sam Kerr, as always, is on goal scoring form, and you know she's so disruptive with that you know that front three they play with and. They just score for fun, and it's so annoying. And I'm like, how are you able to afford all of these players and be so you know influential? But I think Arsenal are a little bit unlucky, maybe, to be a point behind them because we did face Chelsea a while back and probably should have won that game and probably should be leading you know the season. But those failings come down to Jonas Eidvall and his poor coaching, if you ask me. Because in the big games, Arsenal have failed this year and. I think that's ultimately what's going to come down to the fact that they probably will lose this season because in the big games they haven't been great. Mm. Caitlin Ford did score a great goal over the weekend with an excellent pass from Leah Williamson. It was it was s it was reminding me of when Leah Williamson did a few seasons ago. She did this beautiful ball to Jordan Nobbs on the run and it was like pinpoint accuracy. Um, so it's quite nice and. Uh, in terms of the Man City girls, they've been okay. Um, their season kind of got derailed at the start quite simply because they were just so many injuries. So they were on the back foot mm. always. And with Chelsea and Arsenal being quite consistent early on in the season, it was made them really difficult for, um, you know, Man City to be, you know, present. Uh, they are – they probably will pip Man United and finish in that third spot as they should. And well, they're in flying form yeah, to end the season. And it shows exactly. that they will be title contenders yeah. next year if they have a clean bill of health. Absolutely. It honestly should be a race between, the, you know – Chelsea, Arsenal, and Man City, but unfortunately for Man City, those early first five games were really, really difficult. And like Alana Kennedy struggled early on because she had to, you know, play in that back line mm. that was very shaky. But you know, she's found um, form, and Haley Razzo's been really crucial for that Man City side and has provided real moments of spark and made the team team of the week on multiple occasions. Just because, you know, she's she's I think she's mm. really um, flourished in that system and. Uh, playing in that league because I think her playing style fits it. She's quite fast and, you know, she can make those really good passes and I think Man City play a really nice free-flowing style of football. But, you know, but I do want to say on a side note if, if about European women's football, Barcelona, women's team, mm-hmm. tremendous effort um, to not only set the record when they versed Real Madrid in uh, those two Champions League. The record being? Is it like not – what is – Camp now is like 93,000, something like that. But then they played uh, Wolfsburg the other on Saturday morning. I did miss the game. I had to watch it on delay. But they beat their own record again and their new attendance record. So I think it's very impressive and I think it's a model in which other clubs should follow of uniting, mm. having fans that are not just, uh, fan, you know, just fans of the men's team but also fans of the women's team and – actually being fans of the club as opposed to one side yep. of the coin. And I think they have showed how united they are because these fans continually show up and they love that team. And I think that's why the Spanish national team is going to do some incredible work because a lot of their players play from that Barcelona team and they have a lot of belief. You know, some play for Real Madrid, but that Barcelona team of just like the men's uh, side, they're all from there. And it's, uh, it's quite beautiful to see. Well, we've seen some great national team sides uh, draw a lot of players from one club, and that could be Spain's route to, to World Cup glory. You mentioned the attendance at Camp Now. I just had a look at it. It's 99,354. So that's uh, very, very, yeah, very impressive, impressive and, to say the least. And it, it's, you know, to do it, you know, they 
did great work at the Santiago Bernabeu when, you know, Real Madrid were there as well. So it's it's just nice to see that, you know, clubs are actually taking the initiative. And I saw the Barcelona uh, team president go into the change rooms and speak to the players after. And this, the energy that, you know, came off him and talking about the the other players, it was just really nice to see. And I think that's the next step is making clubs, you know, not play, mm. not team people just going for one side, but really being behind the club and everything that entails, if it's the under-21s, the women's or the men's. All right, I'm going to ask for a prediction for the WSL title race. Chelsea, one point ahead. They face Tottenham, Birmingham City and third-placed Manchester United on the final day of the season. Arsenal, meanwhile, have Aston Villa, Spurs and West Ham. So you could argue Chelsea have a slightly tougher run in having to face United in there. Nah, but Arsenal got these... We've got, you know, the uh, North London derby against Tottenham at mm. uh, the Emirates Stadium. So they could that, spoil the party. Yeah, that game got moved. I'm hoping Birmingham City do what they did to Arsenal and beat uh, Chelsea. That'd be nice. It was disgraceful, that loss, actually. <laughs> not, never... not a team that the top-ranking WSL sides no, are used to no, losing and to. and we were on an absolutely beautiful run. I think Chelsea probably win because um, I just don't see them losing. Uh, they're just too consistent of a side, but they have sh- shown, you know, some little moments of you know, being wobbly at moments throughout the season. But I'm all there for hoping that Arsenal beat them on the final day, and I can, you know, wake my neighbours up with some really obnoxious <laughs> yelling. Uh, I can't. I can only imagine. Um, <laughs> FA Cup final as well, Chelsea versus Manchester City. So plenty of Aussie representation in that game. With... Man City, I'm going for that one. Really? Yeah, I like Man City. There you go. I like Man City. They've been in really good form lately and I can't stand Chelsea winning again. It bothers <laughs> me so much. It bothers me. Every time Arsenal losing to Chelsea twice in two FA Cup, you know, obviously very close together because of COVID, but it just bothers me so much. We lost on both occasions. Ridiculous. Got to so... learn from you. Got to learn from your mistakes. Well, we'll see if uh, Sam Kerr proves you wrong on that count. We're going to sign off here tonight on Radio Dub. If you missed any of tonight's show, our interview with Jeff Hopkins and the entire program will be available shortly on the FNR SoundCloud, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Good night from myself, Josh Parrish and Pakua Frimpong, and we'll speak to you again next time. Pickett, she lays it off, Teresa Polaris! Meet him up!